you have a Bible, I'd love to invite you to uh, turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And if you are following along in one of the blue uh, Bibles on the, on the ground near you, you can find Hebrews 12 on page 1008. <clears throat> Let me invite you to stand with me as we read uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 17. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent that he sought it with tears. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Oh God, as we uh, pause now in the midst of our busy lives, the busy season of the year, God, would you give us attention uh, to hear what you're saying through your spirit? God, would we feel uh, your love Would we feel your arms around us? Would we feel uh, your smile upon our face? God, would we be formed more fully into the image of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, please. This past summer, the 4th of July, uh, here in Ladera Ranch, there's a, a 5K race. That uh, I was excited about running, and as I as I talked about running that, some of my my boys got excited about running the 5K and wanted to run the 5K 
uh, with dad. And so we got ready there on the, the morning of the 4th of July and we showed up and we're in the, the starting area. There's a lot of excitement. There's hundreds of people all packed in. And then we started running and it was great for a little while. <laughs> and we ran maybe, I don't know, a half a mile. And then the course turned and we started going up the hill. And it got a lot harder very quickly. And uh, I don't want to point any fingers, but you know, some people didn't really want to keep running the whole way. And uh, you know, we began talking and complaining. And dad, dad, like, how much longer is it going to be, dad? Uh, dad, I don't know if I, I got to stop, dad. I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't want to keep going, dad. And then. Uh, well, we just kept going, and we had to hold hands and kind of drag each other along until finally we got, you know, towards the end, about three miles in, and you could see the finish line. And all of a sudden, the mood changed, and, and, and we all just took off running, <laughs> sprinting as fast as we could to get across the finish line. I was thinking about that this week as I was studying Hebrews 12 because I think that that race is a bit of a metaphor for what it's like to live the Christian life. I loved studying the, um, the book of Hebrews this fall. Uh, I think what I, I've loved about the, the book of Hebrews is how the author of Hebrews combines this just rich teaching, rich doctrine about who Jesus is with incredibly practical wisdom about life in this world. And so as we're getting towards the end of the book, he will finish our study of Hebrews next Sunday, chapter 13. He's really kind of winding down uh, with, this, with this application about this is what it looks like to live the Christian life. And uh, he uses this metaphor of a race and, uh, and, and what I want to say to you this morning is this, that the Christian life, this is the Christian life, keep going, stick together, and watch your step. And I'm unabashedly uh, just stealing that from a friend of mine named Ricky Jones. Uh, I listened to his sermon on this passage, and that kind of took his outline. I thought, I can't say it any better than that. Keep going, stick together, and watch your step. The author here says that uh, the Christian life is a race. He said over and over again, he's been, he's been telling us how good and how beautiful Jesus is. And he's been saying that Jesus is, Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than our traditions. Jesus is better than um, all that has been handed down to us. Um, Jesus is better than everyone and everything. Jesus is better than having a full bank account. He's better than our politician winning. Jesus is better than... Um, Jesus is better than having a great sex life or a fulfilling job. Uh, Jesus is better than everyone and everything because he is the, the radiance of God's glory in a form that you can actually know and interact with. And um, you might listen to all that. We're just talking about Jesus is so good and you might just respond by saying, okay, I get it, like sign me up. I'm all in. And so he finishes by saying, life, the Christian life of following Jesus is a race. It is an endurance race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And I love how honest he is. He doesn't bury it in the fine print. He says that following Jesus 
as a marathon, not a sprint. So just keep on going, stick together, and watch your step. And I think that is just the perfect message for Advent. Because, like I said at the beginning of this service, Advent is about it's this time where we, we just kind of experience what it's like to live in the tension. Jesus has come, Jesus is king, and yet the full effects of his kingship are not fully realized in this world. We live in the tension between what Jesus has already done and what he will continue to do. So just keep going, stick together, and watch your step. Our world seems to want to push us towards the extremes of hype or cynicism. And I think even sometimes the way that we, we talk about Christianity in our world um, can kind of come across like this marketing campaign that just follow Jesus and your life will get better. Uh, things will be easy. Um, just, you know, give your life to Jesus and everything will be roses and unicorns. But the Bible is far more honest with us. The Christian life is like a race. And it's like that in every sense. It's like that in the sense that sometimes it's really exciting. And sometimes it's dangerous. And sometimes everything in our bodies is just screaming to give up. And sometimes we, we need people to come around us and to encourage us. It's occasionally very dangerous, it is unspeakably beautiful, and it is absolutely worth it. But what this passage is telling us more than anything, I think, is that it's just really, really long because it's the test of a lifetime. It's the test of a lifetime. So keep going, stick together, and watch your step. Okay, those are my three points. Well, they're Ricky Jones's three points, but I'm stealing them. So first, keep going. Keep going. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What is he saying? He's saying it is a long trip from here to, I mean, when you die. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a, the, the, the Christian life is a journey of a lifetime. It takes decades. Um, for some of us, it takes 30 years, 50 years, 80 years. It's, it's the journey of a lifetime. And it's always tempting to think. It's always tempting to think, isn't it, that just over the next horizon, uh, life will feel a little bit more manageable. In six months, I will be happy. In six months, I'll kind of get on top of things. I can remember, you know, uh, as a, you know, maybe even in high school, thinking, you know, someday I'll be married. Uh, someday I'll kind of be like settled into a career, and life will just, yeah, of course it'll be work, but it'll just feel a little bit more manageable. I don't think that anymore. <laughs> But I do think that I won't always have little, little kids, and someday I'll have kind of like older kids, and life then will feel less exhausting, but people tell me that that's not going to happen. <laughs> and I don't know, do some of you think, I've never really contemplated retirement in a serious way, but do some people think like, finally when I retire, then I will be able to enjoy the fruit of my labor. And it, it always feels like over that next horizon, yeah, it's still going to be work, but it'll just feel like we can kind of stay on top of things a little bit better. Um, the temptation is to think just a little bit more in six months, but the Christian life is the journey of a lifetime. 
And it's tempting, I think, especially in the, in the, in the world that we live in and the culture that we live in with you know, media and social media. Um, it feels like everybody else is sort of like a little bit further along than I am. And um, everybody else seems to be enjoying life, and I feel like I'm the only one struggling to keep my head above water. Uh, I, was, I, I heard an, an ad for a podcast this week, and they were, they were advertising this podcast called Business Schooled, where they're following, they're telling the stories of Gen X uh, entrepreneurs. Like, and it, it was funny, because the way the ad was talking about it, it, it said, um, you know, in the startup world, we tend to think that it's all millennials starting these new businesses, but there are actually, they didn't say this directly, but the implication was like, there actually are people over the age of 40 still doing things in the world. And like this idea that like only young people are, and they're incredibly successful, and if you're not by the time you're 30, then you are behind the eight ball. But I'm here to tell you that people over 40 are still doing things in our world. There's such a temptation when we look at others to think that I should soon be arriving at a place where life is easier. And when that doesn't happen, we can begin to wonder where God is. And we can start to feel like, if God really loved me, shouldn't life be easier? And we can look around. Um, I mean, I think especially there's a temptation for people, those of us who are Christians, to look around at our friends who aren't Christians and think, gosh, life seems so much easier for them. Why isn't life easier for me. But the Bible is clear that the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And while, of course, God in his goodness from time to time gives us seasons of joy and ease, I think that the, the more dominant metaphor is that of the race. That it's an endurance race and it's exciting and it's long. So just keep going. But here's the motivation. He doesn't just kind of call us to muscle it out. He says, look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And what he's saying is that even Jesus struggled. Like, we should not expect our lives to be easy. We should not expect our lives to be free of suffering. Because look at Jesus. Um, Jesus suffered. You know, God surely loves Jesus, and, and yet he, he suffered. But he's even saying more than that. It's not just like, well, Jesus suffered, so you're going to suffer too. So, you know, get used to it. Set your expectations. Um, he says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And, and what that means, I think, is that Jesus had a choice. Uh, Jesus did not have to endure the cross. But it says that he did endure the cross for the joy that was set before him. Now, what, what could that possibly mean? What was the joy set before Jesus? It couldn't mean that, like, um, well, it wasn't the joy of the experience, obviously, because it wasn't joyful. Uh, it wasn't the joy of having the love of God the Father, because he already had that. The only thing that it could mean is that the joy that was set before Jesus, for which he endured the cross, was us. It was, it was on the cross that Jesus bought you bought his people. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross and the soldiers mock him and the pastors by and mock him and, and you know, people call out to him, if you really are the Christ, save yourself. Come down from the cross. He could have. He could have. And yet he hangs on the cross because as he does so, he's exchanging places with you and with me. So on the cross, Jesus is taking our sin and shame upon himself and he gives us in exchange his perfection 
his perfect record of righteousness, his perfect obedience, the perfect love that he has with God the Father. He exchanges places with us. And, and so what Hebrews is saying is that he, he, he is buying us with his suffering. In order to love us, in order to be with us, he, he suffers. And so what that means is that the joy that was set before Jesus was you. It was for us that he suffered on the cross, buying us back from sin and death. And so that means that you have incredible value. You have incredible value. You think about, there are two ways that value can be assessed. You can have intrinsic or extrinsic value. Intrinsic value means that the, the worth is in the, the thing itself, and you and I do not have intrinsic value. What we have is extrinsic value. Well, we might have intrinsic value, but we have more extrinsic value, just to be clear. <laughs> because Jesus has bought you. He has paid for you. You have infinite worth before God because he has paid an infinite price for you. And when you understand that, what Hebrews 12 is telling us, is that when you see that you are immensely valuable to God because Jesus endured the cross for you, that that will melt your heart. And it will enable you, uh, it, it will transform your suffering, your struggle in this world. Um, it will transform it from feeling like it's meaningless and the universe is against me and why, do, why is life so hard and it just feels futile frustrating. It will transform our suffering from that um, into the experience of discipline. Did you notice as I read this passage, almost half of it is talking about the way that God disciplines his, his children. God disciplines his sons and his daughters. In light of Jesus, the Son of God who suffered for you, our struggles in life are transformed into the loving discipline of our Father. Every parent understands this at some level, right? It's because we love our children that we discipline them. And, uh, you know, those unruly children who are never disciplined, <laughs> it's not because their parents are so cool. Uh, it's, you know, indifference is the opposite of love. The, the failure to discipline is an act of, well, the opposite of love. It'd be cruel to be indifferent and to let our children go their own way and do their own thing. And in the same way, God loves his children enough to correct us, to discipline us. And I love how he says it's never, it never feels pleasant at the time. <laughs> never feels pleasant at the time. But after time, it bears fruit. Because God is shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus. So keep going. So just keep going. Okay, I have to mention this. Did you notice in verse 4 um, what it said? This is, a, this is a crazy statement. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. A couple months ago, I think six, eight weeks ago, I said in a sermon something like, I don't think that in the United States, Christians are really experiencing what can be called persecution. And somebody did not like it when I said that. And there was a, I think she was a visitor. I'd never seen her before or definitely since. But she came up to me after. She, she was so mad. She's like, why in the world did you say that? Christians do experience persecution. And what I said at the moment was, I'm afraid that um, we think we're being persecuted because our candidate didn't win. And I thought at the time it was a pretty good answer. But I really wish what I had said here what, I had said what he says here. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
The, the reason, I, I don't know if you saw this in the news, um, you may have seen this on the internet, but in the last couple of months, and especially in the last week, our Christian brothers and sisters in China have just been um, uh, subject to immense, immense persecution. And, um, and in uh, one, one church, about 100 people from this church um, were arrested in the last week. And um, the pastor of that church was jailed this week. And he had written this statement that he, he, having a sense of what might be coming, he had written this statement about peaceful disobedience and explaining why he would resist in a nonviolent way the government. Um, and you should read his whole statement. It's beautiful. But part of it, he said this. He said, separate me from my wife and children. Ruin my reputation. Destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life. And no one else can raise me from the dead. That's a picture of what it looks like to just keep going, doesn't it? Most of us in our lifetimes will not probably face that level of persecution. And yet the message to all of us is the same. God loves you. Jesus bought you with his life. He transforms our suffering into discipline. And so just, just keep going. Just keep going. One day at a time, one foot after another, because the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. So just keep going. But secondly, stay together. I love this image because you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You know, when I was running that 5K with my, with my boys this summer, we start off and you're surrounded. You're just packed in with, I don't know, hundreds of people. And for the first half mile, maybe a mile of the race, we could not have run any faster or any slower than we did. We're just packed in with people and we're just kind of carried along with the crowd. And that's the image, I think, here. Um, stay together. We're carried along by the crowd. And so it is with the Christian life. This race of a lifetime is not something that we do on our own. But God, when he calls us his own, he calls us to himself, he adopts us into his family and makes us members of his church. And the Christian life is not something that we can do on our own. This is an essential part of God's plan to get us to the finish line. So we have to stay together. He says in verses 14 to 15, Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one... Uh, sorry. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I love how like just honest and practical this is about... Uh, about the reality of life in the church. Um, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for it. It's going to be hard. <laughs> You're going to have to work for it. Um, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What he's saying is that it's our job, it's, it's my job to see to it that you do not fail to obtain the grace of God. It's your job to see that I don't fail to obtain the, the grace of God. I think that is such a foreign concept for us in the 
individualistic society that we live in, where it's sort of, you know, everybody kind of does their own thing, and you're, you're good, I'm good, okay, you know, like, you love Jesus, that's great, you know. Keep it to yourself, man, that the Bible says it's our job to see to it that none of us fail to obtain the grace of God. That means we reach out to people, we follow up with one another, and we haven't seen somebody in a couple of weeks, we check in with them, we encourage each other, we correct each other, we pray with each other, we pray for each other. He says, see to it that no root of bitterness takes root. I think that's a great image, the root of bitterness. He's, he's, I, I think what he's saying is incredibly obvious. Uh, if you spend enough time with anybody, they will annoy you sooner or later. <laughs> that's just reality. But, he, but he's saying that see to it that, your, that bitterness doesn't take root. Like everybody's going to annoy each other sooner or later, but don't let it take root. If you think about, does anybody here mow their own lawn? I don't know if, like, we all live in, like, HOA-managed places. Okay, we've got a couple lawnmowers. But you're familiar with the idea of mowing your lawn, even if you don't mow your lawn. And, you know, you mow your lawn, and it's like, when it's freshly mowed, it looks great, right? But the first things that spring up are the, are the weeds, because you didn't take care of the root. I mean, it's a simple, obvious metaphor. Um... But what he's saying is that we have to get to the roots of our problems with one another. Um, Being in community will be difficult. And what this is saying is that if we don't give up on each other and we commit to being in community and we keep showing up for each other, that sooner or later we're going to hurt each other, sooner or later we're going to fail each other, sooner or later we're going to let each other down. If, if, like, I have not let you down yet, then I would like to introduce myself to you for the first time. <laughs> um, we clearly don't know each other that well. It's only a matter of time, and I'm sorry. And, and I, I can say that kind of, like, I don't know, flippantly. I mean, I mean that seriously. Like, I will fail you. I will let you down. We will hurt each other, and I'm sorry. But the only way... I, we, have, we just have to sit down and have the hard conversations and not bail on each other. Because otherwise, the bitterness takes root, and we can kind of start by, we just back away from somebody who annoys us or somebody who hurt us. But that bitterness takes root, and it doesn't, well, it has to be rooted out. And so we have to, we have to address it together. Because... Um, We have to do the hard work of sitting down and talking things out, not allowing bitterness to take root. Because the truth is that we can run away from each other, and wherever we end up, all of our issues will be there waiting for us in the next spot, too. And so what I want to say to you, I I don't say this casually or to, to imply that this is easy, but the gospel can heal anything between us as long as we keep showing up for each other, as long as we stick together, as long as we commit to being a part of community and do it in practice and not just in theory, the gospel can deal with anything that comes up between us. As long as you keep showing up, I will keep loving you. As long as you keep showing up, we will keep loving you. We will forgive you. We will embrace you. 
We will do our best to not make you feel awkward or ashamed. And when we do those things, we will apologize. As long as we keep showing up, we will continue to love you. So let's stick together. We will let each other down. And I think this is why we need the gospel to really experience true community. Because the gospel tells me that I am not perfect. The gospel tells you that you are not perfect. And what that means is that in every relationship, given enough time, you will fail people and they will fail you. And so it's not a surprise when that happens. We need the gospel because the gospel gives us freedom to be in the community with imperfect people. We expect people to let us down and we can work through it and greater love will take root when we get through those hard conversations and move to the other side. So just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Keep going. Stick together. We need each other because this race isn't one we can finish alone. And then finally, thirdly, watch your step. Keep going. Stick together and watch your step. Verses 14 and following, he says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. It's such a weird offhanded comment. Um, but the author of Hebrews is continually kind of pulling these references from the Old Testament. And so he talks about Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob. And Esau was the older brother who in the time he would have, um, you know, his birthright as the older son meant that he would inherit the lion's share of the land, the wealth, the status. And he comes back from hunting one day. And he's hungry and his brother's made like stew or something, right? And he says, uh, he says, give me something to eat. And Jacob, Wiley Jacob, his brother, says, sell me your birthright for a cup of soup. And he says, okay, fine, whatever. And he does it. And why is he bringing that up? What, he, what he's saying is that, um, well, what Esau did was he sold a, a lifetime, a lifetime of inheritance in just kind of a rash moment. And what he's saying is that's what sin is. Um, Sin always makes sense to us in the moment, doesn't it? It always seems like a good idea at the moment. And yet it's like throwing away a lifetime of faithfulness because we have a momentary hunger. Don't let a momentary appetite throw you off course, but instead he, instead he says in verse 1, lay aside every weight and sin that entangles you. I, I, I love the idea of, you know, watch your step Beware of sin, but also of every weight. Like, of course we have to resist sin. Um, resist temptation. Sin will get in your way. So when you're tempted, look to Jesus because that will melt away the allure of our sin. We have to fight against our sin, but he also says to lay aside every weight that entangles us. And so, again, going back to this, this idea that life is a journey, that the Christian life is, a, a, is an endurance race, what, what he's saying is that there are things in your life that will weigh you down that are not sinful, but they are not useful on a, on a journey. <laughs> um, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Bill Bryson, who um, is a travel writer. He wrote this book called A Walk in the Woods, um, where he determined to hike as much as he could the Appalachian Trail. 
And he was looking for a friend to do it, and the only one who would, who would do it was this guy named Katz, who was kind of so pathetic that he didn't have a real job and could take six months off to hike the Appalachian Trail with him. And he says, I discovered before we even started why I, nobody likes Katz, because he's just annoying and not thoughtful. And they show up at the beginning of the trail, and Katz has loaded his backpack with like so much gear that they are never, he's never, you know, they're gonna hike from Georgia to Maine or something like that, and he's got half of his backpack is stuffed full of Snickers bars or something. And so Bryson sets off, and they never really hike together. Um, but Bryson goes, and, and Katz is just on this like slow pace. And every time Katz gets into camp, like an hour or two later, and every time his backpack is just a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller. And Bryson turns to him at the end of the first day. He's like, where's all of your gear? And he said, I just flung it. <laughs> you get this image of this crazy man just walking along this trail, like flinging pots and Snickers bars off in the woods. <laughs> Why? It's just not useful on a long journey, right? There are, there are um, things in our lives that weigh us down. Um, you know, maybe a job, maybe a relationship. It's not sin, but it's not helping you. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just drinking too much. You know, maybe, maybe our use of alcohol is not, you know, sinful, but it's not helping. Uh, maybe watching YouTube, talking about myself here. And I'm going to go watch YouTube after church today, and my wife's going to give me a hard time. Sometimes it's okay. But sometimes it's not useful, right? We can spend nights just watching videos over and over, and it doesn't. It's not sin, but it's weighing us down. Maybe it's our obsession with comfort. Uh, our obsession with comfort and convenience that has led us to believe not just that we like things to be comfortable, but that they ought to be comfortable. And so we avoid doing what's right. And it makes it hard to run a race with endurance. So keep going, stick together, and watch your step because the Christian life is a race. There will be times when you'll be tempted to give up. There will be times when everything in your body will be screaming at you that you cannot continue going on. There will be times when you just need somebody to grab you by the hands and keep running with you. That you will need to be surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this community called the church. And we will be here to carry you. And you will be carried along with the crowd just by, just by showing up. We will love you. We will be here for you. Just don't give up. Just keep going. This is what Advent is all about. It's about training ourselves in this one-month season to live a life of endurance, to live a life of, of longing, of looking forward to a time when everything will be made right. Because the, the, the hope of Advent and the truth of Advent is that we won't always be waiting, and we won't always be longing, and one day we will arrive at our destination. Yesterday, our family went for a hike. It's one of the great moments of living in Southern California where we kind of realize why we live here. You know, it's mid-December, it's 73 degrees outside. It's not hot, it's not cold. You can wear short sleeves and jeans and go for a hike and it's just beautiful. And Ashley and I were saying, I love the fall. I love this, just, you know, these cool afternoons. I love being able to be outside with our family. 
And one of our kids, I can't remember said who said, I hate the fall. I don't want it. Well, Ashley and I are like, I want it to be fall all the time. Like, I don't want it to be fall all the time because it will never be Christmas if it's always fall. And that's what's so great about Advent is that it won't always be Advent. It will eventually reach Christmas Day. And when one of my kids said that, it, it reminded me of uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, where uh, the land has been covered in this icy winter, where it has been always winter, but never Christmas, for years and years and years. And yet the word begins to be spread that Aslan is on the move, and the winter is beginning to thaw, and Christmas is coming. So hold on, keep going, stick together, and watch your step, because we will not be waiting forever. Jesus is on the move, and one day he will return, and everything will finally be made right. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you are at work in our world even now. We see the signs of life around us. We see um, the way that you are at work in our midst, that you are healing um, people physically, that you are healing broken relationships, that you are bringing hope to the hopeless. God, you sustain us, you provide for us, you assure us that we are your children. And yet we know that we're not there yet. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to be Advent people, living with hope in a world that is uh, so desperately in need of hope. God, would the gospel take hold of our hearts and lives in such a way that you would enable us to keep going that you would give us such a love for your people that even when it's hard, we would stick together. And God, would you help us to, to watch our step, laying aside every sin and weight as we press on to reach the finish line. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.